It's up for debate on KLJXLP Flagstaff, KJAC 107.1. I'm your host, Cade Reed. Thank you very much for tuning in today. Make sure you tune in every single weekday from 10 to 11 a.m. on KJAC Radio alongside the Spotify app with KJAC Sports Podcasts, where we post a podcast every single weekday. Uh, I want to jump right in with a very important thoughtful Thursday this week. We've got a very special guest, somebody we bring in once a week, Sean Clark. Sean, how are you doing? Doing very good. Uh, NFL season continues to go on and I mean, unfortunately not fully healthy. So let's get into it. That's exactly what I want to talk about. The NFL player health has been a big cause of concern so far this season. We've seen a lot of guys go down with season ending injuries and really a lot more than than usual. So the first thing I want to touch on with NFL player health is the preseason and the lack of preseason that we've seen this season. There was no preseason this season because of COVID and because of the shortened schedule, trying to make everything a little bit safer as far as COVID goes. Um, but now that we've seen what no preseason looks like, is it something that we should continue doing? Well, the preseason itself isn't as big of a factor as everyone is making it out to be. Now, preseason is very important because obviously it's it's real game speed. It gets you conditioned. It gets you used to real games, et cetera, et cetera. But the Los Angeles Rams um, the last couple of years have not really played any of their starters in the preseason. So you're thinking, okay, uh, their starters – are not getting that zero to 100 uh, experience, you know, that training. You can't climb a mountain without hiking a five-mile trail to start with. You got you to you work your way up. That way you're in condition to do that. Now, while preseason does that for a lot of players, the main thing that that does it for is training camp. Because training camp, you're doing multiple practices a day. It's in the summer. It's really, really hot. So that's the most important form of conditioning right there. And because of COVID, it was limited. But having established that, when it comes to the preseason, training camp should be longer, but with fewer preseason games. I think training camp conditions you better than preseason games, even though preseason does give you the real game flow, Training camp conditions you as much as players hate training camp, mainly just because of how brutal the coaches love to push your players. Hard Knocks demonstrates this perfectly. So going forward into the future, I think that the preseason should be cut down in favor of longer training camp. I think training camp, having it longer would help these players a lot. And I think if training camp was the way it usually is, or maybe slightly longer, I don't think there would be as many injuries. Yeah. And I think that's a good point that you're making. Uh, Training camp was cut short and that hasn't been something that people have talked too much about. Uh, But I kind of do disagree with you on, on, as far as the preseason goes, I think even though watching four preseason games for every single team is I mean, pointless to to a fan and pointless to a fan base. I mean, I think it really does give those 
those players, that real game speed, like you said, and going from zero to a hundred, it just doesn't traditionally work out. And a lot of people do end up getting hurt after trying to, to start things when they're not prepared. And, and that's the thing is these NFL players, they, they aren't thinking they're not prepared. They're not thinking their bodies aren't ready to go in and perform on the field at any given moment, but missing out on those preseason games. And, and we've seen the, the way that, that most of these NFL players have gone into the preseason, uh, especially the superstars, they don't really play all that much. So how much does it really do? Uh, I think for the younger players, the guys like Joey Bosa, or excuse me, Nick Bosa, who tore his ACL this weekend, who has only been in the NFL for this is his second year. I think preseason is way more important than a guy like Von Miller, who hurt himself in practice and is out for the year as well, who's been consistently going to training camp consistently with the preseason. I mean, I do think that the importance is a little bit higher for the younger guys uh, for sure. Uh, but I think a lot of people just need to get eased back in. And without the preseason games, without enough scrimmages, I know there were some full team scrimmages where, where they were trying to, to, to get back to full game speed, trying to get back up to, to par by week one. But I just think without a preseason in general, and like you said, cutting it down to two games may be a possibility. A lot of people don't really like the preseason just as a fan or as a viewer. And really it's only for the coaching staffs to see what kind of personnel they got for the players to get more used to the game. It's not really for us as, as fans and media, I don't think. No, it's definitely not. Preseason for the most part is unwatchable. Even as a diehard NFL fan, as I am, I don't usually enjoy watching the preseason. The scheming is about, I'm going to say 40% of a normal game, the, the creativity and the play calling, the effort is about, let's go with 50, 60%, somewhere around there. So yeah, for us, it isn't something ideal, but let me talk about your claim that it, it helps younger players more than, than the veterans. Now, pre, the biggest intrigue about preseason always are the rookies. The rookies are always the one thing in preseason that everyone wants to see. Because it's the first time you see this player in their NFL uniform in an actual game before their actual debut. So that is the most interesting part. And I think when it comes to rookies, they really benefit from this preseason. But once you move on from your rookie season, I don't think it's necessary. I think... Nick Bosa already established himself as a star in the NFL. So I don't think preseason for him was needed just because he's already established or other. I, I mean, I agree. Nick Bosa has established himself. And, and I, I don't think that that's kind of the point I'm trying to make with why younger players need the preseason. Uh, I, I think that he doesn't need it to work on his game. He doesn't need it to work on his craft. His craft is already there. He's already a good enough football player. But like I said, game speed is a whole different thing than practice speed. And when you're a young guy and you're not used to the NFL game speed, you've only had one season at that speed before. I think getting into another preseason, even against guys who aren't as talented, even against guys who 
aren't maybe the the superstar offensive linemen that he would be facing off with, but getting those NFL matchups and getting at least more warmed up to, to real life speed isn't going to help him like with his game at, at too much of a level because he's already there, but with his health and how keeping himself healthy and staying longer into a season uh, just because of having to go through that full-time game speed. Well, I do agree with that point, but here, but here is my counterpoint to that. I think once, once you're a second year player on a team, you know, you've had a full year in the system and training camp gets you back in the flow of things. However, here's what I will say. Players like Nick Bosa and other second year, second year players and beyond, they already know the system and they don't need a full four preseason game like rookies do. But, but here's what I will say. If you have a young player that changes teams, that's a very different story. Because what is the other thing that we, that we like to see in preseason that's, that's to a much lesser degree than rookies, but we want to see newer acquisitions. Players that are implemented into the system, that's, that's who we like to see. I think preseason is for, is for newcomers to the team, while training camp is for the veterans. That, that's, that, that kind of sums up my point when it comes to preseason. If you're if you're new to your system, then then preseason's the preseason's good. If you're already a veteran of the system, then then preseason is huge for rookies. Now, here's the one caveat to my, my thing. What if there's a new head coach? If there is a new head coach, then everyone should play in the preseason to get used to the new coach's system. So there really isn't a total universal idea, but as a but as a rule of thumb, I still like the if you're used to the system, then training camp emphasis on training camp. If you're new, emphasis on preseason. But the one caveat I will throw out there is if there's a new head coach. I feel like the only way for a player to really prepare in game and prepare for the regular season is for is with the preseason. I mean, in my opinion, there's no way for a guy like Dak Prescott, the quarterback, his week one matchup was against the Rams. There's no way for him to go into a full off season and a full preseason and all of that and be prepared to get hit by Aaron Donald. I mean, there's no preparing you for that except for going on and getting hit during a preseason game and going on and playing a physical contact sport. And the reason why preseason, I think, is a little bit safer is people aren't playing at 100%. People are getting used to the game speed. They're getting used to, to getting ready to play. And they're playing at, you said, less effort. Like, And I agree. I think there's a lot less effort in the preseason. But I think that's a good a good thing for a lot of players because the less effort, the less chances of injury, the less people are really extending themselves and putting themselves in harm's way. But in my opinion, there's no way to really prepare yourself for the physical contact and the physical toll that the game of football takes on you without actually playing that football game at at least half speed at first, like the preseason I think is. 
Well, let me ask this question. What about full team scrimmages during training camp that allow all the contact and they go full speed? It's, I mean, there's full speed practices, but there's never going to be a full speed, full contact training camp with one team just because nobody's going to hit their quarterback as hard as, as, as they can. Nobody's going to tackle their running back. Like they're going to tackle the opposing running back. I mean, it, it's different, different movements cause different injuries. And if a running back gets tackled in practice, they're going to get wrapped up and brought down slowly. But if a tack or if a running back gets tackled in the preseason, they're going to get brought down. However, they can get brought down. And it just kind of prepares the body to be taking more of those hits and taking more of those, uh, that, that harsh punishment. But again, referring to Nick Bosa, they had turf issues. So his preseason might not have even mattered at all because, I mean, the 49ers issues, a lot of what they were saying was because of the turf issues. And Kyle Shanahan came out and said that this was the stiff, stickiest turf that they've ever seen at MetLife Stadium in New York. So what do you think the problem with the turf has been so far in the NFL? Well, obviously with COVID, businesses and work – stuff like that have not been at a hundred percent. Obviously a lot of sacrifices have had to be made during this time. It's just the way things are. And that goes for many different businesses. This includes groundskeeping and turf. This includes many other areas such as labor at restaurants, labor at grocery stores, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Groundskeeping is no exception as, as I mentioned. It's, you have to you have to sacrifice in co- in the in these COVID times to get by. It's just the way it is. A lot of businesses have had to adapt. A lot of businesses have had to make drastic changes to keep afloat. That's just the way things are. And it wouldn't surprise me if there has been significant drops in employment for the NFL. In fact, there has been reports that there have been. Same goes for the NBA. And obviously, when COVID first broke out, we, heard, we read a lot of stories of stadium employees getting laid off. We, we read a lot of stories about that when COVID happened. So with this turf, there wasn't as many employees to maintain the turf and make it a safe game. And as a result, you started seeing players go down because of how sticky the turf was. That's that's what I interpreted when I saw a terrible turf during the 49ers-Jets game. Well, I can kind of put into perspective uh, kind of the perspective from the stadium worker. As I was a stadium worker for four years from my age 16 to age 20, uh, and I was planning on being a stadium worker again this summer working for the Colorado Rockies, potentially the Denver Nuggets, the Avalanche, all that kind of stuff. Um but obviously because of COVID that didn't happen. Um, The stadium workers that are mostly being cut out and mostly being shortened is going to be the staff that is dealing with concessions. So the people who are selling food and dealing with fans are for the most part going to be the ones who are taking the big hit. But as far as stadium workers go and ground crew, being able to, 
fix the field and put the field down is something that can easily be done while social distance because I mean it is in an outside field it is a hundred yard field lots of space in between the groundskeepers and the people who work on those grounds crews they come in in the butt crack of dawn when nobody's in there I mean it is empty the stadiums are empty I've I've had to work inside a course field where they're fixing up the field and it's just me and the people I'm working with for my company and the people fixing the ground crew for, for course field. So in my opinion, I think there's no excuse for any sort of turf issues, uh, especially uh, at this high of a level. Um, I mean, there's enough money in the NFL. There's enough high level players and high level people in the NFL that this shouldn't be happening in any case any way shape or form I mean the turf is something that I feel like I mean I'm, I'm not a turf expert I've never put down turf I've never tried to put down a turf field or anything like that but if the 49ers can tell there's an issue with it just from playing on it and they can tell that it's sticky well there was a problem that should have been addressed before that and that's on the New York Jets and that's on the NFL for not looking over the field and looking at, at the product before they put it out and before they put those players uh, at risk. And the 49ers came down with a bunch of injuries. They came down with a really bad game. I mean, Solomon Thomas, Nick Bosa, Jimmy Garoppolo, and Raheem Mostert, all four really important players got hurt. So in my opinion, there's no excuse for the NFL to have this type of turf issue. They're just too high level of a, of a program. If you saw that the Premier League had a huge turf issue and people were tearing up their ankles, tearing up their knees because of turf, I mean, I feel like that would be a huge big-time story and something that would just never happen because of how careful they are with, with their players' health. Uh, but I think it's inexcusable. I can agree. Obviously, as I mentioned, you know, COVID has had as led companies to sacrifice a lot of things. But even though I firmly believe that that COVID has impacted the quality of turf and groundskeeping, I firmly believe that. At the same time, even if you are working there, you still have to do your job. What does Bill Belichick say all the time? Do your job. And even though maybe there was groundskeeping that was short-staffed. Maybe they didn't have as much time because they didn't have as many hours. You still got to do your job. It's as, sim it's as simple as that. We've all had to compromise. We've all had change. But guess what? At the end of the day, we still have to do our job. Yes, we are not in a radio booth currently. But guess what? We, we still have a job to, pro to provide content for everyone. For, for you guys. And so guess what? We're recording it from home. We're still doing our job. If, you, if you're a groundskeeper, you are responsible for dozens of players just on, a, just on a weekly basis, a yearly basis, hundreds of players. You're literally kind of in a lot of ways responsible for their safety as much as say a team doctor is because you you're giving them the surface that they can play on and do do their job on so if you if they if the groundskeeping 
fails at their job, then it's going to be difficult for the players to do their job. It's a, it's a whole cause and effect thing. And even though COVID, you know, laid people off, there wasn't as many people to keep up with it. You still, at the end of the day, got to do your job. It's, it's you still got to do your job. And what MetLife Stadium and what it looks like the NFL is pointing to when looking at this new turf and what the issue is, is that the new turf was installed during this offseason and just wasn't used enough beforehand. Um, But, I mean, obviously still an issue, uh, especially for the 49ers who went down with so many injuries. But think about this. The 49ers next week, guess who they're playing? The Giants at MetLife Stadium. The New York Giants at MetLife Stadium. So they're going back to MetLife Stadium to have to play on that cruddy field and have to put their knees and their bodies at risk. So obviously not the best conditions. Obviously the 49ers are already having injury issues. So hopefully the field gets taken care of between the last time that they got all those problems, the last time these injury issues happened and – this upcoming week. Uh, but there's one more thing I want to touch about when talking about NFL players health, because something kind of crazy happened uh, during uh, right before the game for the Los Angeles chargers. Uh, Tyrod Taylor was expected to be the starting quarterback and he was dealing with a little bit of issues. Now, apparently his issues could have been dealt with, with a shot, just giving him a shot of, I think it was epidural, and uh, just kind of giving him a little shot of life, I guess is what these NFL teams call it. Uh, But Tyrod Taylor wasn't given that shot of life. He was punctured in his lung by the team doctor. A huge, huge mistake, obviously, by the part of the team doctor. But do you want to talk about this a little bit more, Sean? Okay, I had to I had to type this headline out for something I was doing, and I gotta tell you, I I, I couldn't believe it. I, I literally wrote parentheses. Yes, this that act this actually happened. Basically, he, Tyrod Taylor needed, a, 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 as you said, the shot of life, and for some reason they thought it was a good idea to inject it in the chest area. Now I don't know about you, but that doesn't exactly sound safe. It was it was trying it was being injected into the chest area because it was a painkiller for his cracked ribs, uh, mm-hmm. and they missed clearly. Yeah, cr- cracked ribs. First of all, cracked ribs are painful and are no joke. Second of all, yeah. Okay, so you need the chest for cracked ribs. Okay, how do you still miss though? How? All right, all right, let me just let me just sum it up this way. It is still way too difficult for me to believe. Basically, the painkiller was injected and it punctured the lung. It punctured the lung. Okay, the lungs are at the upper part of your chest, and the ribs are in the in the ribs. While the ribs are obviously a large part of your mid area, how do you not do it? at a lower part that doesn't involve puncturing your ribs. I'm sorry. I'm just speaking common sense here, Cade. I'm no medical doctor. I have good friends are, but I'm just speaking common sense. How, how do you know that? Okay. There's the heart. There's the lungs. Those are two extremely important things to our survival. Let's not go anywhere near those areas. 
oh wait, you're telling me you actually went at the lungs and even punctured it? How does someone who has medical experience make a mistake like this? Was it rushed or something because of of the limited time? That's what I want to know. What was it? Was it rushed? Yeah, it- I mean, the head coach of the uh, Los Angeles Chargers, Anthony Lynn, says that it was just a mistake uh, and it was an accident. And this type of injury or this type of thing happens every now and then because the doctor doesn't see where the needle's going when they're injecting it. It is rare that this does happen, but it does happen. Um, and Tyrod Taylor, this is this is a really important injury because Tyrod Taylor is – or was the starting quarterback for the Los Angeles Chargers. And because he couldn't play week two, he lost his job to Justin Herbert, who played really well. And now Tyrod Taylor, who is out indefinitely, and who knows when he's going to be able to return, who knows when he's going to be back. I mean, he got a punctured lung that was unintentional. But when he comes back, Anthony Lynn says that if he's 100%, he is the starting quarterback for the Los Angeles Chargers. But here's the thing. If Justin Herbert is playing better football and Justin Herbert is as good as the Chargers had hoped and he looked that good last week, how can they justify keeping Tyrod Taylor on the bench? And how can they justify ending Tyrod Taylor's or potentially ending Tyrod Taylor's career with such a – catastrophic mistake catastrophic mistake is one way to put it now i have looked into why anthony lynn said this and when it simply boils down to is he doesn't want to flat admit that justin herbert is the favorite to start because of this mistake he wants to save face with his team anthony lynn brought in tyrod taylor and remember anthony lynn coached with Tyrod Taylor in Buffalo. So Anthony Lynn knows Tyrod Taylor very well. And I think that he feels extremely bad that this happened. I mean, it's just an unfortunate situation. Yes, I, I talked about the common sense, but obviously the doctor didn't intentionally do it, obviously. At least I would, at least I would like to think it wasn't intentional, but he doesn't want to say like, oh yeah, we're going to move forward with Justin Herbert and make the team doctor feel even worse. I think he's just trying to save face. I think he's trying to give Tyrod Taylor encouragement. I think he's trying to show that, hey, I support you. I'm sorry that this happened. I'm, I'm going to do the best I can for you to give you the opportunities possible because, well, he supposedly earned it. Although, look at, looking at his completion percentage against Cincinnati is not exactly – does not exactly bode well going forward. He was 16 of 30, which against the Bengals defense, that's a bit bit concerning. It's a bit concerning. But I think Anthony Lynn is a player's coach. We all know this on Hard Knocks, really displayed that well. So I think he's he's saving face, especially from everything I've read. But it's obvious. If Justin Herbert – continues to play as well as he did on Sunday against Kansas City, he has to be the starter going forward. And I think overall Herbert, even in his first game, has already proven to be the better quarterback. It's just – it's a terrible situation, man. It's a terrible situation. Well, and this is just another situation for Anthony Lynn that I think he's 
going at the wrong way. I know that this type of thing happens and it's, it's a bad look, but I mean, it's unacceptable. And the fact that Anthony Lynn is just okay that it happened, just content or fine that, that this is going on and his card starting quarterback got switched because of a punctured lung that happened in a freak accident. I mean, I think Anthony Lynn needs to toughen himself up because we saw last year where he had a running back situation where Melvin Gordon was holding out and Austin Eckler was playing really good football. But when Melvin Gordon came back to the field, Melvin Gordon was the starting quarterback and that Chargers offense looked way worse with Melvin Gordon back there. Austin Eckler was the better running back that whole season. And because he's such a player's coach and he wants to make sure everybody's happy, he had Austin Eckler sitting on the bench while he was giving the ball to somebody who didn't deserve it and didn't earn it. And although I think Tyrod Taylor is a great quarterback and he's earned his job here in Los Angeles, if he's not the better quarterback, whether this happens because of a punctured lung or this happens because Justin Herbert just shows that he's a star caliber quarterback and Tyrod Taylor hasn't really shown that, well, you have to make that right job. You have to make that right decision as the head coach. Let me make a, histori- let me make a historical comparison on this. So, obviously, in 2001, that was the year the Patriots dynasty began. And what happened that season, week two? Uh, franchise quarterback Drew Bledsoe was injured after Mo Lewis just laid a crunching hit on him. And ironically, that injury was a collapsed lung. So, we're dealing with another lung injury here. And Tom Brady took over for a few games as Drew Bledsoe healed. And then when it came time to decide Brady or now healthy Drew Bledsoe, Belichick went with Tom Brady, which let's just say that decision paid off. So a decision like that where you have to make the decision that is best for your team, that really separates a good coach from a great coach. Sean, let me ask you, how long was Drew Bledsoe's career after his injury? His career lasted until 2006. So he did play a few more years. He played for the Bills and he played for the Cowboys. So only a couple more years left for Drew Bledsoe. Uh, I, I just wanted to ask because, I mean, looking at kind of recent lung issues in the NFL where a lung has been punctured, punctured a lung has been hurt, especially at the quarterback position. Like you said, Drew Bledsoe, his career didn't go too much further than that injury. Andrew Luck as well, a guy who hurt his lung, punctured his lung, broke a bunch of ribs, had a bunch of issues there, his career ended like, like we know because of his health concerns. So this is a serious, serious issue for Tyrod Taylor. And I really hope that, that he recovers because nobody deserves to lose their career or anything like that, just because of a freak accident and a freak injury that a hundred percent could have been prevented and a hundred percent shouldn't have happened. Yeah, well, Drew Bledsoe did have a few more years, but he was never the same after that. It's it's a really unfortunate situation. And at the time, Drew Bledsoe was 30. He was 30 in 2001 when this happened. Tyrod Taylor, I just confirmed his age, is 31. Tyrod Taylor is 31 years old. He also is more mobile than Drew Bledsoe was. So that doesn't bode well going forward because – Drew Bledsoe doesn't, didn't run as much, so, so the lung didn't impact him as much 
as Tyrod Taylor, who's more mobile. And Tyrod Taylor is a year older, so unfortunately, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. I hate to be a pessimist, but uh, it doesn't it doesn't bode well for Tyrod Taylor going forward, especially now that the Chargers have their future franchise quarterback, most likely. Well, thank you, Sean, for coming in to Up for Debate today. Make sure to check out the Candid Clark on social media and make sure to check out his website. What is the recent stuff you've been putting on your website, Sean? Well, one thing I put on my site is a story of the Patriots Seahawks one-yard trilogy. Their last three games have come down to the one-yard line, which is insane that that has happened, and I tell the story about that in – the website yeah so make sure to check that out at the candidclark.com uh, it's a great read i know sean does a lot of great stuff there also make sure to follow him on social media he's got his own podcast he's got his own stuff going on as well the candid clark he's got blinded by sports with colin fuchs so a lot of great stuff going on make sure to check out sean clark at the candid clark on social media if you want to find any of that stuff thank you for coming on sean we are going to take a quick break when we come back We've got a lot of basketball to talk about. The Miami Heat extend their series lead, and the sports world has really come together around Brianna Taylor. I want to have a little bit of a discussion and a dialogue around that later on, so stay tuned for that. The Miami Heat took down the Boston Celtics 112-109 in Game 4 of the Eastern Conference Finals in a 3-1 series lead that Miami took. This was a huge game for Miami as they came out on top with the W, but a big reason being was Jason Tatum and his poor play throughout the game. Now, Jason Tatum had a real issue in the first half, and that really limited him to no field goals, no points, no nothing in the first half. Now, the second half, Jason Tatum played extremely well. He played really great basketball, but the halftime deficit that this Boston Celtics team had to come back from was just a little bit too much. And Tyler Harrow, he played Harrow for this Miami Heat team. And he extended the series lead to 3-1. And as a young guy, as a rookie, Tyler Harrow has shined in the brightest moments. So far during this postseason, the Miami Heat have looked like the best team. And because of that, their players have shined. Coming off the bench, Tyler Harrow had five three-pointers and 37 points on the night. He was incredibly efficient for Miami, and he carried this team to elite. Now, outside of Tyler Harrow, the Miami Heat were five for 32 from three-point range, which is just terrible. I mean, the Miami Heat are a much better shooting team, and this type of game was really a game that they should have lost. But Tyler Harrow having the performance that he had put this team on top. Jay Crowder was one for seven from the three-point line. Goran Dragic three for nine. Duncan Robinson, 0 for four. Andre Iguodala, one for four. This team could not hit from three-point range. And it was a problem all game. But it wasn't a problem for Tyler Harrow as he went five from 10 from three-point range. He also hit 14 field goals on the night to give himself and put this Heat team on top. Now, Tyler Harrow has really shined bright so far this postseason, but a big reason is he is just in the perfect situation for him to be in. During his rookie season, the Miami Heat haven't relied on him more than he's been able to handle. And that's been a big cause for his success is they haven't tried to give him too much responsibility, give him too much of 
a role on this team that he wasn't prepared for. And with guys around him like Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler and Goran Dragic who are experienced and have been in these situations before have played, I mean, for Goran Dragic and Jimmy Butler's long careers and successful careers, he's in a perfect situation to thrive. I mean, the three-point shooting on this team is really spread out and it's really magnified because of how well they've played and how well they've shot throughout this postseason. But Tyler Harrow's not alone, and this Miami team has been so successful because when one guy goes cold, Jay Crowder one for seven from the three-point line, one for nine from the field, Duncan Robinson 0 for five from the field. When a couple people go cold, it doesn't put this Miami Heat team in the gutters. It doesn't throw this Miami Heat team's chances away because there's so many players who can do so many things offensively. Bam Adebayo had 20 points on 11 shots. Tyler Harrow, 37 points on 21 shots. The efficiency that this team had outside of the three-point line was incredible. And they really came together and won this game because of that. Now, the Boston Celtics have their own superstar in Jason Tatum. And he's shown that he has that talent and he has that ability. But going out and having that bad of a first half in such an important game, in a game that is the difference between going down 3-1 and tying the series up 2-2. I mean, it's not acceptable for a guy like Jason Tatum stepping into that bigger role. Now, he is going to be considered one of the superstars. So he's going to be treated like one of the superstars. And when a superstar fails, when a superstar has a bad game, we got to talk about it. We got to talk about the superstar not having his great game. And Jason Tatum has earned his role as a superstar. He's earned the negative attention for whenever he plays poorly because of how good he's shown that he can play. So when he comes out against the Miami Heat and has a goose egg at the half and can't get it going offensively, there's an issue. And when he finishes the game with 28 points and shows that he can turn things around in an instant, that's where the superstar comes from. That's where we can see that this guy is different. And Jason Tatum is different. He went 10 for 22 from the field, but he started out the game 0 for 7. So finishing out the game on a 10 for 15 run is really efficient and really good. And Jason Tatum earned his way back into this game. And it was just a couple, couple points away, a couple big shots away from not being able to win this game and going down 3-1. And that's all it took. Tyler Harrow went off. Tyler Harrow showed that he has the power, he has the potential to do and take over a team on any given night, and that's what he did. Now, so far, it looks like the Miami Heat are going to topple this Boston Celtics team. They're up 3-1 in the series, and although the Denver Nuggets have come back 3-1 two times in this postseason so far, I just don't expect the Boston Celtics to really be able to dig their way out of this hole. The Miami Heat are a team that haven't really taken their foot off the gas pedal all postseason long, only losing two total games, one to the Boston Celtics and one to the number one seed in the playoffs, the Milwaukee Bucks. So this Miami Heat team has shown they have the potential to go to the championship and win it all. And if I'm an NBA fan, that's exactly what I want to see. They're the most well-rounded team remaining, and every single facet of their game is impeccable. Defensively, they have players like Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler who are just dogs. I mean, they are great defenders. They limit 
Giannis in the first round, limited Chris Middleton in the, fir- er, in the second round. They've done a tremendous job defensively all series long. But offensively, there's three-point shooters, there's drivers, there's dishers, there's passers, there's everything that a team could want all on this team. And they even have guys on the bench who are not getting minutes who could reasonably get minutes for a lot of different playoff teams. Kendrick Nunn, runner-up for Rookie of the Year this year, he didn't even play a single minute. But Tyler Harrow and Goran Dragic and Jimmy Butler, those guys all had big-time minutes. And we're going to see a lot more of that as the rotations start to shrink the further and further we get into this postseason. So the Miami Heat end up winning this game, and they look like they're headed to the NBA Finals. One more game from them, and they can potentially knock out the Boston Celtics. Now, on the other side, who is the matchup we want to see? What is the game that we want to see as fans? And what is the game that we want to watch? Because, I mean, there's a couple ways this NBA Finals can go. And I think the Miami Heat taking on the Denver Nuggets would be the most beneficial to us, the best game to watch. Now, the reason being is this is two potential dynasties in the Heat and the Nuggets with young players galore that are huge potential guys who can go for years and years on end and have potentially these two teams going and going strong for a long time. So if these two teams go at each other, this could be a matchup that we see for years to come. Two potential dynasties in Tyler Harrow's Miami Heat and Nikolai Jokic's Denver Nuggets. Now, if things go the other way in the Western Conference and the LA Lakers end up taking that series, it's the new versus the old. The new Miami Heat, the young guys in Miami and the older team in LA, the team with LeBron James and the experience, Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee, Anthony Davis. I mean, that's an older team. That's a team with experience. And it's going to be one way or the other, either a battle of two potential dynasties or a battle of an old dynasty and a new one. And whatever we see this postseason is just going to be incredible. I'm going to take a quick break. When I come back, I want to talk about Brianna Taylor and her recent ruling. Stay tuned. The name Brianna Taylor will not soon be forgotten. After Brianna Taylor was senselessly murdered in her own apartment, after police executed a search warrant and fired upon her and her boyfriend, Brianna Taylor was murdered. And many people were expecting Brianna Taylor's murderers, the police officers who shot her, to go behind bars and to be put in jail and to be indicted on the crimes. But only one of those police officers were indicted and they weren't indicted for anything relating to Brianna Taylor. Now, this might seem like a big-time loss for these players in, in all these sports leagues who have been rallying, who have been fighting for Breonna Taylor's uh, justice, and have been trying so hard to make sure that Breonna Taylor gets the justice that she deserved, because her life was worth more than that. They didn't lose out entirely, because this movement is worth more than just one court case. This movement is bigger than that. And although this court case went the wrong way and Breonna Taylor's murderers weren't put behind bars like they should have been, this rallied the entire sports world together. And hopefully this is just the beginning of a massive amount of change that needs to go down in the sports world. Now, this was a really tough thing for me to talk about because I like to really keep it to sports. But civil rights are more important than sports in some cases. And the fight for civil rights needs to be put on all platforms, including my own. And I want to continue to be an advocate and a fighter for these social rights and for the Black Lives Matter movement. I want to make sure that I am an advocate and I am an ally. 
And talking about Breonna Taylor and bringing up her name is how I want to do that. And bringing up the problems and the deficiencies in these sports leagues and relating it to sports is how I want to do that. In 150 sports teams in the five major sports leagues across the United States, only one owner, only one black majority owner, and that's Michael Jordan. And we know how Michael Jordan got his money. We know how Michael Jordan worked so hard, grinded his whole life to become a professional basketball player, and then eventually buy the Charlotte Hornets. Now, the fact that he's the only black majority owner is an issue. I mean, when you're looking at sports teams in the NBA specifically that are 74% black players that are comprised mostly of black players. And you look at, at the leadership in, in the NBA and the leadership among all of these sports teams across the United States, it's a large portion and a large percent white. And that's a big time issue because there should be racial equality amongst these sport teams. And when there's 30 owners or 30 general managers in the NBA and there's only one owner and three general managers that are black, there's a big time issue. I mean, the inequality of leadership and power inside of these sports leagues needs to change. And the players and and the fans and everybody must keep their foot on the gas when fighting for the social justice. Now, I want to say that Breonna Taylor did not die in vain and she will forever have changed my life and a lot of sports fans' lives because of how she brought a lot of people together. Now say her name, say Breonna Taylor's name and make sure that she's never forgotten because what happened to her should have never happened. And what happens all around this country should never happen. And we need to get to a point where we are all equal and we are all on the same page. So stand together, stand up, and fight for the Black Lives Matter movement. Now that's going to do it for Up for Debate. Thank you guys very much for tuning in. Make sure you tune in every single weekday from 10 to 11 a.m. where I will be here live on KJAC Radio. Also make sure to follow on Spotify at the KJAC Sports Podcast where I'll be posting podcasts every single day. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and I will see you guys tomorrow.